his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. Pretty. That's very nice. That's uh, that artist doing that is Eden Atwood. You know, thinking about old acquaintances. And I was talking off the air uh, a few minutes ago with Sam Moore about old things to collect. And there's so many old things that have been collected at your place, the Missouri Historical Society. Welcome, Sam. Glad you're here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And you were just here not long ago. Just last week. Uh, yeah, with, talking uh, with Debbie, Debbie. Monterey. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That was very nice. Uh, but, it, you know, we were uh, mentioning out there, where do people take things that they say, okay, I'd like to have this live on? I'm, I'm not, in a lot of cases, of whatever it may be, an item, an article, mm-hmm. uh, or a big collection of manuscripts or something. And they said, you know, the kids don't want it, the grandkids don't want it, I don't want to throw it away. Is there a place to go or to talk to you or someone at the History Museum to, so not, not to put a price tag on it, but to evaluate what's worth Keeping? Yeah, so we, we have this very unique and important mission for St. Louis to not just preserve things from 150, 200 years ago that are very important to St. Louis's past, uh, but to be thinking right now about what is going to be important to preserve this moment for future St. Louisans. And so we are always having those conversations. Our collections team is always bringing new things into the collection. We bring hundreds, um, you know, often thousands of items into the collections each year, and that's that's just part of our ongoing mission. So they can always connect with us at our library and research center, which is on Skinker Boulevard, just west of Forest Park. And uh, there's all kinds of information on our website at mohistory.org where you can learn more about donating as well. That's a beautiful building, 225 South Skinker, the former United Hebrew Temple. And what what a great restoration they did at that building. Oh, my gosh. It is stunning. I, I have worked in a few different museums. None can boast a reading room and just a setting that is as grand and beautiful as that reading room is right in the sanctuary of the, the right, former United right. Hebrew Congregation. It's stunning. Sam, the only thing wrong with it are those acoustics. 
<laughs> well, it's, yes. You can sit there and you will swear somebody is right next to you asking you a question. You look around, there's nobody there. Yep, it's somebody full. talking on the other side, so it zooms across the dome. It does. Yeah, that was a room that was built for preaching, not yes. necessarily for a quiet contemplative study. <laughs> uh, but it makes for, uh, you know, some fun interactions. And you've got to be careful, got to be careful when you're in there what you say, because uh, there's a good chance someone 100 feet away from you is going to hear it clear yep, as day. That's true. Now, now, when you talk about all these items, where do they go? Let's say they decide to collect 100 uh, items. You don't see them, or are they underground there, or the building next to the uh, the, the library? Is that where they're stored? Is it an underground place? So we have we have all kinds of artifacts. In our, so we have um, hundreds of thousands of three-dimensional objects. We have well over a million photographs and prints. Um, hundreds of thousands of documents that all live at our library and research center. Again, the, that building on Skinker, mm-hmm. um, there's more to it than what you see as a yeah. member of the visiting public, right? right. A number of storerooms um, and a big part of kind of our plans for the future are going to exactly what you say, right? So much of what you see at the Missouri History Museum where we put on exhibits are specific stories. Right now we're telling a story about St. Louis soccer history and a story about St. Louis's architecture history. Um, but we got a lot more than that in our collections. And so a big priority for us for the 2020s is to really kind of share more of our collections more boldly, more broadly. And we've got some big plans to big plans to make that happen. So what is your, you have a great title and I can't remember it. <laughs> I do. I have a great title. My title is Managing Director of Public History. Good. That sounds good. I like it. And just what do you do as a managing director of public history? That's a great question, and it's usually the question that follows when I introduce myself and share my title. I get a little bit of a, a nod and a smile, and a, what is that? And so public history uh, really is, is the encapsulation of all of our public-facing work at the Missouri History Museum. Exhibitions, public programs, education, publications, um, all of our programming, our Thursday nights at the museum and our Twilight Thursday concert series, uh, basically all of the ways that you interact with history uh, come out of our division at the Missouri History Museum. So so we're having a lot of fun and having a lot of great conversations uh, in public history. Now, what is your background? Where, and how long have you been there? So I have, I'm from St. Louis. I grew up on the Illinois side mm-hmm. uh, and uh, have been in museums for just over a decade. I um, had the chance to work. I heard you talking to a gentleman from Reedy Press about the Campbell House Museum yes. before I came yep. on. Uh, that was my very first museum job oh, as assistant gosh. director at the Campbell House Museum. And That's it remains, I'm, I, I have to have two favorite museums in St. Louis. One is the Campbell House Museum. The other is, of course, the Missouri History Museum. Um, and so I uh, was with the Campbell House Museum, was with the Missouri History Museum. And actually for the past five and a half years, I've been in Pittsburgh uh, working in museums in Pittsburgh. I just moved back to St. Louis this February, coming up on a year to take on this role and to come home, and it good. has been very good to be home. Oh, I bet it has. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Pittsburgh, I'm sure, but home is home. Home is home. Uh, so you mentioned Illinois. Where, where did you grow up in Illinois? I grew up in Highland, Illinois. Oh, not that um, far away. Not that far away at all. You can all. see downtown from Highland, yeah, you, Illinois. You, you, if the weather's right and you're high enough up, you can. And, and I uh, the, grew up in Highland, so about 40 minutes away, but... Um, you know, my father worked for local media here in St. Louis, still works for local media here in St. Louis, so grew up in and around the city uh, mm-hmm. really my entire childhood. What did your father do? Uh, so he was with KMOV for a long time, uh, and KMOV's parents, he's with KSDK today, mm-hmm. and so finger on the pulse of all things happening in St. Louis. And what does he do? 
He is was a news producer for a long time, worked on the digital side for a long time. He's in a marketing role now with KSDK. Oh, great. Now, there are a lot of people who work at the History Museum, but you also have a lot of volunteers, I would assume. We do indeed. We do indeed. And how many? Uh, I don't have an exact number. We've got hundreds of volunteers, hundreds, uh, hundreds of uh, volunteers that give thousands of hours, wow. uh, thousands of hours. And and to be really honest with you, we could not do what we do without the support of folks who just give of their time and energy. And that goes from saying hello to visitors when they come in through forest, through our forest park doors. Uh, it includes helping us out on our Thursday night at the museum programs. And there's also volunteers at our library and research center and at Soldiers Memorial Military Museum, which I've got a nice, really nice yeah, view right, of right, right out, out the, the windows window. of the studio here. Um, you know, our volunteers are really critical to our to our work and um, may, make a lot of it possible. And I think, you know, you can say that at the Missouri History Museum. You can say that really at any museum in the country. Mm-hmm. Really, really critical. It is. And connecting with the community, which is what you do. And uh, that is a critical thing for the future because people want to learn about the past. You know, I've done so many programs on history and people keep asking, but like the World's Fair. Yes. It seemed like, okay, you've done everything you can about the World's Fair, but there's something coming back to the History Museum. The World's Fair, the, the, the exhibition that was, is no more, and the new one is being prepared. Imminently, imminently. It is coming quick. So I, I think you make a good point. The World's Fair is something we talk a lot about in St. Louis, the 1904 World's Fair, the Louisiana Purchase Exposition. And especially for folks who aren't from St. Louis, there's a degree of why, why, why is this so important? Why are we talking about this? Um, but as someone, as a public historian, there are few, I think, um, stories more central to how St. Louisans understand themselves than the 1904 World's Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a moment in St. Louis's history when we are, uh, when the eyes of the world are on St. Louis. 20 million people come to St. Louis, 60 different nations exhibit at the fair. We're the fourth largest city in the nation at that point, but it's a pretty distant fourth, right? Uh, and so the the fact that, that really the eyes of the world following the Chicago World's Fair on St. Louis is a big deal. And uh, the exhibit you mentioned that we had, we opened in 2004 on the 100th anniversary of the fair's opening. That exhibit has been open for, was open for just shy of 20 years. And now we're opening a new one on the 120th anniversary of the fair's opening on April 27th. And our goal with this exhibit is to really explore two things. We're going to relive the wonder of the fair because the reality is as a 1904 St. Louisan, you would never have seen anything so grand as right. the 1904 oh, no. World's That's Fair. Unsure. As a 2024 St. Louisan, uh, you probably wouldn't have seen anything so grand in your own backyard as the 1904 World's Fair. It was incredible. It uh, showcased technological innovation. It popularized the ice cream cone and fairy <laughs> floss cotton candy, right? There's a lot of really fun, fascinating, wonderful stories to tell about the fair. And in the exact same time, in the exact same place, there's a lot of complexity in this moment in St. Louis's history. Uh, we have a 40-acre human zoo, the Philippines Reservation for Fairgoers to See. Uh, one of the technology technological innovations that was showcased were incubators where premature babies were put on display, many of whom died. Mm. Um, There was an exposition where soldiers who had just finished fighting the Boer War uh, a couple of years earlier were playing war for entertainment for fairgoers. And so it's this really fascinating moment where we've got to kind of look St. Louis history in the eye and say, yes, this was incredible and it was also very complex and it's all really critical to the St. Louis we live in today in 2024.
Now, we're going to come back and talk more. We've got a lot, of, a lot of stuff coming up. Sam Moore is with us from the Missouri Historical Society. And, and the History Museum may not have been in existence had it not been for the World's Fair. That's very true. That's where basically the basic money came from. That was not from the World's Fair, but it was built with the funds. And they made some money for the World's Fair. And you can still make money if you have some of those stock certificates. <laughs> they can be very valuable. It's 15 minutes past 11. Chris and Amy have taken the day off. Johnny Rabbit, that's me. I'm here until 1 this afternoon. And we've got some other guests, too, that I hope you can listen for. Uh, Mike Brown, you talk about money in 2024. We've heard him many years on KMOX. He's coming back for a brief visit with us today. And then postcard collecting. And I know the, uh, the History Museum has a tremendous amount of postcards there. Tom Snyder will talk about that. Juliet Simone from Oasis will be with us and talk about Oasis. It's one of those organizations been around for a long time, done a lot of stuff to still do and a lot of things planned. But many people don't know what Oasis is. And we're going to talk about food with a great food historian, Suzanne Corbett. We'll talk about the past and the present and other things as well. Uh, all you have to do is keep your radio on at 1120. Kyle, what's our position on FM? I can never remember where we are on FM. What, it's 1120 a.m. and... What do you don't know? He doesn't know either. I have no idea. Don't look at me. <laughs> maybe, maybe somebody's listening to KMOX on FM, which is okay. We'll be right back on KMOX. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We're going with you, and now we know that we're on FM at 98.7. Thank you, Kyle, for remembering that. I have to listen to that. Uh, I, I, you know, it's, I know it, it's a very you know, static-free sound, and it's uh, good for the in, inner area, metropolitan area, where KMOX reaches out who knows where. Long, long way. Well, reaching out to the past, that's what the History Museum is doing. Sam Moore uh, from the Missouri Historical Society is with us, in case you've just joined us. I wanted to mention the uh, Eads Bridge 
a great American wonder, 150th birthday. So you're honoring that in some way. We are. So 2024 is the 150th birthday year of the Eads Bridge, the oldest bridge spanning the Mississippi River, built by a guy who had never built a bridge before but was really confident in what he was building, which is what you want in someone who's never built a bridge before, right? Right, confidence. Uh, And so in April, we're going to open an an exhibit uh, all about the Eads Bridge. We're going to talk about the engineering marvel that it is, uh, the unique steel structure that James B. Eads built. We're going to talk about James Eads as an individual, pretty remarkable guy, Mm -hmm. um, uh, an inventor and creator of many things aside from the bridge that he's best known for. Then we're also going to talk about this really important role that the bridge has played as a symbol of St. Louis, because well before um, the apotheosis of St. Louis went up on Art Hill, that big, beautiful statue on top of Art Hill, well before the Gateway Arch went up, the symbol of St. Louis was this beautiful Eats Bridge, a structure of perfection, as Walt Whitman called it. And so mm. it's a, it's going to be a great year, a uh, big birthday celebration. It actually opened on July 4th, and uh, we're going to be talking about that bridge all year starting in April. That's great. What a great uh, thing that is. James Buchanan Eads, and he was also involved in those ironclad boats. That were... He certainly was. He certainly was. Yeah, that's a great legacy in St. Louis. Uh, Eads Bridge is truly an American wonder. Something to see. Uh, a great showcase for St. Louis. Just to go down to the riverfront and look at that. Of course, you have to look at the arch as well. Uh, but another birthday is coming up. St. Louis is 260th, February 14th, and then the gift shop. It will be open. It's renamed. What's the new name of the gift shop? Yeah, so we're relaunching our gift shop in this year, this new year. Uh, February 14th, like you say, 260th anniversary uh, birthday of St. Louis. No better day to be talking about how much we love St. Louis than Valentine's Day. Right. And so Sold on St. Louis will open at the Missouri History Museum on February 14th. Um, a lot of what you love about the Missouri History Museum's gift shop, because uh, we hear that all the time, what a great gift shop it is, is going to remain, right? We're still going to be telling St. Louis stories. Oh, good, You're going to be able to get unique St. Louis items. You're going to be able to get material that connects to our exhibits and the stories we're telling on the floor. Um, But what we really want to do with this new shop space is showcase St. Louis, showcase the items and the merchandise that make St. Louis unique, showcase creators in St. Louis, and make this really the your one-stop shop for all the best of what St. Louis has to offer. If you want to get a St. Louis-themed gift, you're going to be able to get it at Sold on St. Louis at the Missouri History Museum. Now, how is this going to be set up? Will people have like little sections for their company or will it just be general? Yeah, so we'll we'll uh, be sectioned out like that somewhat. Uh, we want to be able to tell the stories of all the vendors. So uh, folks like um, STL Stylehouse on Cherokee, Golden Gems, which just really took off this past year over on Locust, uh, John Blanco, who makes some great hats, and then also, you know, some smaller names, um, organizations, makers who you may only see at the Tower Grove Farmer's Market Mm -hmm. or in other smaller gatherings, candles and paper goods and soaps will have those as well. So there's going to be a a chance to kind of get a good overview of St. Louis products and then learn a little bit about these individuals and these companies that are so uniquely St. Louis as well. Will it be in the same space as the shop today? It'll be in exactly the same space. It'll look quite a bit different. Some big renovations are going to kick off this week. Um, and then you'll be able to come in and get everything from clothing to Red Hot Ripplets to Fitz's Root <laughs> Beer and everything in between. Old Vienna Red Hot exactly. Ripplets. Oh, that's the way to start the day. Uh-huh. <laughs> John Hickman will still be there. He absolutely the, will. He's the manager, a very nice guy. 
And, and it very, it's the shop that I always recommend for St. Louis. The second one I usually recommend, uh, as far as architecture is concerned, is the American Institute Ooh, of Architects store. A very uh, uh, underrated spot. Yes. Uh, that is a terrific, yeah. terrific store. On Washington in the Lambert, the old Lambert Furniture yes. Company building. Now, what about the, you know, the, the other things, the, uh, oh, the STL, Coloring STL mm-hmm. exhibit. Uh, there, I have seen 176,400 square inches yes. on this, and people, what do people do with these square inches? What do they do with them? They color them. So uh, we, I'm pretty sure right now we are the only history museum in the country that's saying, yes, please come and color on our walls, yeah, and we give you the markers to do it. Um, those are the only walls you can color at the Missouri History Museum. Please don't color outside that right, exhibit. Right. Oh. But what we've done is we've essentially said, you know, St. Louis has a fascinating architecture story to tell. It has a beautiful, stunning built environment. Everything from buildings that the building that kind of set the template for American skyscrapers, the Wainwright building here in downtown St. Louis, mm-hmm. to 100 over the park, that beautiful new tower on King's Highway, uh, to the gingerbread houses in South City and, and buildings like I live in, the the four-family red brick in ah, South the red City, brick. right? Yeah, yeah. And so uh, we've got fascinating architecture stories to tell. And so what we've done is we've packed the gallery full of architectural artifacts uh, and we've also covered the walls in floor-to-ceiling murals that are whiteboard murals that you can color on. Uh, and mm. it's been fascinating to watch St. Louis apply a coat of paint to most of these buildings. Uh, we just wrapped up this weekend um, our Color Every Inch campaign when, like you say, we were trying to color every single one of the 176,000 square inches in the exhibit. We did a pretty darn good job, too. That gallery is packed full of color. Um, and that exhibit will be open um, uh, into the new year. It'll be open this into the spring, and so there's still plenty of time to come and color and learn a little bit about buildings in St. Louis. When that goes away, what goes in its place? So when that goes away, we've got a couple of things coming up. We've got a brand new exhibit that opens in June called Gateway to Pride, all about St. Louis's LGBTQIA plus history. As long as there's been a St. Louis, there have been LGBTQ St. Louisans and some really fascinating stories to tell there. Um, and then we're also in early 2025, which feels a long way off because we just started 2024, it right? Does. Yes, it does. Um, but after we close Coloring STL, because that's got a little bit more to run, um, we're going to open back to our earlier conversation an exhibit called Collected, which is all about the artifacts, the documents, the photographs, the sound and moving images in our collections. And so tell, tell, fascinating stories and showcase individual artifacts and the stories that they can tell. Um, so it's it's an exciting year, a couple of years ahead. You know, we're looking at the 2020s as a moment to kind of redefine what a historical society can be, say we've got fascinating stories to tell about our past and, um, you know, those can help us make some big decisions about what's coming next for St. Louis in our future. And we have... The Johnny Rabbit Lecture Series. Most importantly, most importantly, so for all your listeners out there, if you don't know, Johnny Rabbit gave his final uh, public presentation at the Missouri History Museum um, this fall, Mm -hmm. uh, retiring after, I I couldn't even tell you how many years you were doing those presentations. A little over 30 years. 30 plus years at the Missouri History Museum doing presentations. And uh, um, while we're sad to see him go, we uh, are glad to still hear him on the air. And we've also announced that we have a new annual Johnny Rabbit lecture that will begin this year in 2024. In your honor, a well-deserved legacy uh, that we're happy to honor.
That's very nice of you. That's what's very exciting, and what a great surprise. Jody Saul, who is the, what is, he's the president, CEO. He is indeed. And he does a nice, uh, min, I guess just a minute, on uh, Channel 4. He does. He does. Every Sunday morning uh, on CBS Sunday morning, he's got his History Minute segments, and um, people love him. I assume you are positive about the future of St. Louis? I am so excited about the future of St. Louis, Johnny. I I moved back to St. Louis this year, well, last year, um, and there I am convinced there is no more interesting place in the United States, more fascinating place than St. Louis, and we have got one of the brightest futures of any city of our size in the country. There are always problems, but there always have been problems. There they, always they have been problems. That's the context that's important, right? St. Louis is uh, St. Louis is a city that uh, perseveres, and I have no reason to doubt that'll be the case for its next decade. What about the uh, Fusapalooza foosball <laughs> tournament? It's... Yes, Fusapalooza. I'm very proud of our team for that name. So we have a <laughs> Soccer City exhibit right now talking all about soccer history in St. Louis, 150 years of soccer history in this city. Um, and at the end of January, the last weekend in January, we are having the biggest foosball tournament you've ever seen in St. Louis. We're partnering with professional foosballers, kids, semi-pro players, and for four days you can come and play foosball, be in the winning for some great prizes. Um, All the rules, all of the kind of structure for the tournament are available on our website at mohistory.org. We'll find out about it, and we thank you so much, Sam, for being here again. Thank you for having me. You might be back next week. A great way to start the year. (laughs) It really is. Thank you so much. That's Sam Moore from the Missouri Historical Society. I'm on the we're coming up here on the Chris and Amy show. Chris and Amy are off, you know, New Year's Day. Why not take a day off? It's a good idea. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, money with Mike Brown. We're going to talk about postcards with Tom Snyder. Juliet Simone from Oasis will be here, and I'll talk about a program I'm doing with them. Uh, Suzanne Corbett, a great food historian, writer, teacher, etc. Uh, she'll be with us as well, talking about food in St. Louis in the past and the present, and maybe even talk about some things that are going to be happening. There's always something happening with food in St. Louis. Unfortunately, many times it's closings of businesses. I, I uh, did a story recently uh, about uh, 1984 in St. Louis, and I ran across 50 restaurants that were Really well-known at the time. None of those 50 restaurants are still in St. Louis, so it does change a lot. Well, we will uh, move into our next segment in a couple of minutes in the Chris and Amy Show. It's 1130 right now. You're listening to KMOX. Well, we're talking about money next here on the uh, the show. It's the Chris and Amy Show with Johnny Rabbit and with Mike Brown. Mike Brown, back again on the radio. It's been a while since you've been on, Mike. It's been a little bit, Johnny. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, and you're going to make it happy for a lot of people when you tell us a bit about your well, your way to true wealth. My goodness, that's the name of the current book, I assume? Yes, it is. Thank you very much. How long um, has that been out? Is that I mean, just a few months? It came out the end of June this year, so a little less than six months ago, and we've had a tremendous response. Of Got course, it. a lot of our KMOX listeners have uh, have gone out and found it at uh, Barnes and Noble. They can buy it on Amazon and so on. And I'll just go ahead and put it out there. If you're looking for it, uh, can't find it, we have a website. It's truewealthbook.com, mm-hmm. and that'll show you how to get a copy. Okay, truewealthbook.com. And how do you get it? You'll find out that way. But I'm sure libraries have it as well. Yeah, I haven't been into a library to, to see specifically. I know I've seen them on the shelves at Barnes & Noble. I hope the libraries have a copy. Yeah, we can so. work on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a good idea. Well, what, uh, 
What are you what are you doing for this new year? What are your plans? What do you feel as far as uh, predictions uh, for for money this year? There's so many things going on that we have no control over that can have control over our financial situation. So how do you project yourself for this coming 2024? Well, you know, this is the time of year when we all sit down and instead of counting our blessings, which maybe we did a week ago, Mm -hmm. um, we tend to look forward to the new year and all the uncertainties and all the things that, like you said, we can't predict. Should we be doing anything uh, to protect ourselves from them? The thing we need to realize first is, though, every single you give me a year and we'll go back and read the paper or listen to what was on the radio on January 1st. And it's always been, oh, this is going to happen or this could happen or that could happen. Uh, this year, maybe it's, you know, it's war- the wars in the Middle East sure, or it's, sure. you know, the the uh, you know spending and borrowing binge that the government's on that's putting us so deep into debt. Or maybe, you know, this is a presidential election year. So maybe those are the things that, oh, my goodness, if things go wrong, this is going to wipe me out um, financially. I think what people need to grasp is kind of a longer term perspective. Uh, Peter Lynch, the, the, the famous money manager, put it really well one time. He said, more money has been lost trying to predict bad things that are going to happen or avoid those bad things than has ever been lost in any of those bad things <laughs> themselves. So it's I think it's much more incumbent on us to know that uncertain things are ahead of us, that we can't predict or control, uh, and then try to do our best in terms of investing our money. Um, to get us through them, not mm-hmm. just to uh, try to avoid them. Well, the big thing is people want to save their money. They want to have it for the future. It, and some people have, a couple of people have asked me, you know, should I take a lot of cash out? We are, are we safe? Should I just, you know, whatever, I don't know what a lot would be. Everybody yeah. would be different. Yeah. And just keep cash on hand rather than have it in, in investments, even rather than even having it in a bank because they're concerned banks may fail. Well, up until a few months ago, we weren't getting paid anything to have a lot of money in cash. So it was a pretty easy decision. Now that interest rates have come up to palpable levels, we're actually getting compensated for holding cash. Long term, however, I think cash is a non-productive asset because once you pay the taxes, if any, on the interest that you earn uh, and whatever inflation doesn't take away from us in terms of rising cost of living, which is why we have higher interest rates today, um, I don't think there's anything left. Cash is a horrible place hmm. to preserve purchasing power, and that's much more important than preserving dollars. So I think you you know you come at it from a perspective of saying, you know, what are some relatively relatively secure investments that I can own for my short term needs? And cash certainly goes into that into that pile. Uh, but where am I going to get better returns if I can afford to leave this money alone for a few years, five, ten years, or more? And I think that's where you start looking at owning quality businesses and things like that. So don't predict the future, but you can plan for the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't. That's a that's a uh, that's a great saying. We don't try to predict the future. We try to plan for it. And the way to plan for it is all based on not what's going to happen to the value of your portfolios or your nest egg or your net worth. It's what is going to cover your needs. If you you know, if, if you and I were 30 years old today, mm-hmm. we would be hoping for a big downturn in the in the markets and the economy, because as long as we're working and able to save, we're getting more investments at lower prices. And that's the key to building wealth. 
Now, fast forward, let's say we're retired, we're not saving money anymore. We're spending money right. for the rest of our lives. We're trying to make the nest egg last. Well, I think the trick there is to say, when am I going to spend, how much am I going to need this year? How much am I going to need for the next five years? And make sure that money is invested in some way that's not going to give us that unnecessary risk. And then beyond five and 10 years, we can afford to be a little more uh, creative and optimistic, and history has proven us right in that regard. Um, we, we have an old saying with our clients, you know, d- don't, um, don't buy stocks with the rent money. Uh, <laughs> stocks are good for long-term, uh, long-term appreciation and income, much better than any other type of investment. But for short-term needs for 2024 by itself, stocks are completely unpredictable, so we shouldn't be putting money in, into, into stocks that we plan to spend within the next five years or so. Very interesting. Very, very wise decision to do that. Um, what about resolutions? Do you have a New Year's resolution, <laughs> Mike Brown? Have you come up, okay, this year I resolve to... Yeah, my, my resolution this year is, is, to, is to find a resolution I can keep for more than 30 days. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we, we go through this kind of funny, silly exercise. We're human beings. Yeah, we true. do it every year. And, and I think it's, um, I learned a long time ago, it's much easier. The, the tough thing is to say, well, I'm going to earn this much on my investments, or I'm going to save this much, or I'm going to you know, do this and that. I mean, the, the, my book is full of things that you can do that will make your life financially better immediately. But I think what works for me is, to whatever extent New Year's resolutions do work, is I'm going to try to cultivate this habit. Or I'm not going to try and get it all done by the end of you know by the end of January. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be a little more disciplined in how I think about money and 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 save a fixed percentage of every paycheck. Or I'm going to do um, I'm going to do this or that if I've got a debt problem. I'm going to get rid of these credit cards. Um, or I just want to cultivate healthy habits. Um, and, and that is the best New Year's resolution you can make. And it, you can the good thing is you can use it every year. No, that's true. You can. The same thing. And you have in your book uh, essential three essential rules for someone trying to build wealth during their working years and three mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. rules for those trying to preserve wealth. So you can find out that in the book. Um, the book is Your Way to True Wealth. And if you can't find it at a store, go to truewealthbook.com. And, uh, you'll find out where to get the book. And the, uh, it is an easy-to-read book. A lot of great quotes from a lot of people that are really good in the book, which is good advice, just the quotes themselves. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And that's kind of what I built it on. I mean, I've, I've collected information, having done the Money Show for 30 years and and worked with clients for longer than that. Um, you know, you collect information. We put out a weekly newsletter every week. So I'm constantly reading, as you are. And you you begin to accumulate bits and pieces of information, and quotes are a big part of that. And that was one of the reasons I wrote the book. I said, well, I've got all this stuff, and it's kind of starting to um, organize itself logically. Um, if I can find the words to string it all together, maybe this can do some folks some good. And apparently it has. And right out of your book, there are always things to be afraid of, but acting on those fears has historically been the wrong thing to do. A big mistake. And and again, I don't think you, you go in cavalierly and say, there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to, you know, everything's going to be perfect. Let's go in being realistic, not pessimistic or optim- overly optimistic, and just say, 
hey, some things are going to happen that I'm not totally, you know, that were a big surprise. Mm -hmm. And I, since I didn't know they were coming, there's no way I could adequately prepare for them or try to avoid them. But when I start to look beyond 2024 and beyond 2030 and, and beyond, you know, in other words, when I lengthen my time horizon, I'm able to take a lot of clues from history to say, you know what, there's always been a problem, but it's always been temporary. You can say that about the markets. You can say that about the world's economy. You can say it about, you know, humankind uh, in a lot of ways. Um, don't overstress and don't think you've got to just absolutely nail it every single day or every single year. Just go with it and adapt to it and um, and invest for the long term. Mike Brown, how do people get a hold of you if you'd like to speak to you personally? Uh, well, I guess the, our website is probably the easiest way to find me these days. Okay. Uh, the uh, website is brownfwa.com. That's FWA stands for uh, Family Wealth Advisors. Ah. Brownfwa.com. That's where I am. Oh, that's good. Mike Brown, thank you for being here. Are you going to come back and do another show sometime or not? Well, anytime you ask me, I'm happy to. <laughs> well, I'll, um, I'll be sure to ask you. <laughs> I'd love to do it, Johnny. Thank you very much. And again, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you, Mike Brown. This is Johnny Rabbit Postcards. Now, there's something a lot of people have. Some people don't necessarily have what you would call a collection of postcards, but they have saved postcards, maybe because of the message on the back or maybe because of the picture on the front. And so what about collecting? What about saving them? What about selling them or trading them? Are there postcard clubs? Tom Snyder knows these things. Uh, we have him uh, scheduled to be next here on KMOX. And in the next hour, you will find out more about Oasis. Great organization. I'm very glad to be involved with them. And i got a program coming up on January 23rd that I'll tell you about. That is about postcards. And then uh, Suzanne Corbett, I was talking before with uh, Sam Moore from the History Museum. She, he worked with Suzanne on The Gilded Table, which was a great book about the Campbell House and all of the food and the table settings and the preparation of food and recipes as well. She'll be here with us. That'll be around 1230 until 1 this afternoon. And then I disappear for uh, who knows when. But I'll tell you, tomorrow you're going to find Chris and you're going to find Amy right here. All you have to do is listen to KMOX. Wait a minute, they're not here. I am Johnny Rabbit. I am here. Tom Snyder himself, Mr. Postcard. Uh, he is here. And Tom Snyder, welcome, first off. Happy New Year to you, sir. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Oh, we're so glad that you are here. Yeah, I tell you, a guy who you may not know, uh, who is a collector of postcards, he has a uh, place called Color Pictures of Our City's Past, Mounted and Framed Prints. And postcards, Mark Eisenberg is his name. And he said, be sure to get a hold of Tom Snyder to talk. I said, I want to find the best person to talk about postcards, postcard collecting. Well, you collect postcards, I assume. Yes. Uh, my wife and I have been collecting since the early 80s. How did you start? Why And why did you start? Well, I was a stamp collector. Oh, and, yeah. And I would buy... Uh, postcards at uh, antique malls or uh, antique sales uh, looking for the stamps. And then I made the uh, mistake or good fortune of turning them over and finding out that uh, there was a lot more variety and things that uh, caught my interest on the front of the postcard than there was with the stamps. Hmm, that's pretty funny. And so uh, after a while, I gave up stamps and uh, 
I've uh, been in postcards ever since. I'll be darned. Well, do you collect postcards from all over, or are you uh, St. Louis specifically? Uh, no. Uh, I have a Ph.D. in British history, and so I collect uh, Winston Churchill and a great exhibition of 1851 and uh, uh, royalty and ships and uh, oh, wow. my hometowns in Indiana and uh, Illinois. Mm-hmm. You, you did something for, was it the Mascuda Library? I uh, wrote a book for uh, uh, Arcadia Press, which was a postcard history of the city, mm-hmm. of Mascuda. And all the proceeds went to the uh, museum here in Mascuda, and they used the money to, uh, with other things to uh, purchase an elevator for the three-story building. Wow. That's that's a lot of money. That's great. Great of you to do that. They made the money, yes. you didn't, but you got to publish a book. And postcards about Mascuda, I must be honest with you, I didn't think there would be that many. How many are, are there? How many are in the book? Uh, there's about 200, 250 in the book. Wow, that's a lot. That's great. But we had a professional photographer in the city, and then uh, uh, there was a couple of amateur photographers and there's really two types of postcards. There's printed postcards and there's photo postcards. Yeah. And uh, the amateur photographer, like they used to with with uh, uh, Polaroids, could take their own photos. And then they would put them on postcard backs and they'd mail them to people. And uh, those are the, the hardest to find because they, the man may have only made five or ten or twenty or if you tried to sell them, maybe a hundred or so, wow. and so those are the most valuable. The same way with St. Louis cards. If the uh, the I had a friend who had over four thousand individual St. Louis postcards oh because St. Louis is a major city, and but the hardest to find are the real photos. And if there's value, there's real there's money in the real photo. St. Louis postcards and those associated with the 1904 World's Fair. Mm-hmm. And so the St. Louis Postcard Club, uh, Gateway Postcard Club, uh, which celebrates its 50th anniversary this year, uh, with a party on the 7th January. Now, where's the, uh, 12, where's the party? And the party is at uh, the Kirkwood Community Center off of Geyer. Okay, and that's the uh, fifth, we meet fiftieth anniversary. What's the club? Uh, St. Louis Gateway Gateway Postcard okay. Club. Fifty years. That's terrific. You'll have a lot of people for that. Are you, how many people do you have in the club? Uh, there's about eighty members, but uh, about eight to twenty come to the meetings uh, monthly, depending on the weather and what is featured that night. And uh, the public is welcome on the 7th of January at noon. If they would like to come and learn a little more about postcards, there will be uh, people in the club who will be buying and selling cards, and we're going to have pizza uh-huh. and Cokes. And okay. so uh, you're a good incentive to <laughs> and now a good incentive to come out and, and see what we do. Yeah, right. On the 7th, well, that's, that's pretty fast. Uh Yes, it's not very far in the future. Yeah, I guess not. Here we are on the 1st. That's at noon. We have Kirkwood Community Center, St. Louis Gateway Club, 50th anniversary. Will people be bringing a lot of postcards, I would assume, to show or trade? Yes. Uh, usually uh, there are f- at least five or six uh, 
dealers and collectors who bring uh, oh up to about forty boxes of cards. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Yes, De- each box holds about seven hundred cards. So dealers of postcards. Name name a dealer. I mean, is it like an individual that does this, or is it well, part of a store? No, I'm a dealer. Most postcard dealers are uh, part time. Ah, okay. And uh, uh, there's uh, Alan Banks in the in the club. Uh, myself, uh, a few others that are uh, not really full time dealers that do shows. But the uh, when you buy cards, you often get extra cards that come with it. Sure. And you don't know what to do with it. So you bring it to the club meeting and put a price on it ah, I see. and see if anyone's in, interested in buying it. I sent you some of uh, the cards I picked at random for my collection. One was Broadway on a Rainy Night, a black and white card from 1911. Yeah. What is something like that valued at, or do you know? Well, actually, uh, you sent me a description, but you didn't send me the actual cards. No, no, I did not. Uh, photos. And... Uh, uh, Broadway on a rainy night, black and white, unless it's real photo, which yeah. would be more of a sepia brown and white, uh, two to four dollars, nineteen eleven. Okay. Good. What and uh, the uh, Cinema Theater on Lindell, it would be uh, from nineteen sixty three, would be about three dollars. Mm-hmm. And the best one is the Meet Me at uh, the Horse Show, oh, nineteen twelve. Yeah, the Coliseum. Yeah, probably five to ten dollars. Oh my gosh. So terrific. That's good to know. I'm not selling them, but it's good to know that they have a value and somebody would be interested in them. Gosh, we're out of time. Yes. Tom, I hate oh, to rush, but we've got to do it. Uh, again, it's uh, Kirkwood Community Center, noon on the 7th, uh, the big 50th anniversary. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you for yes. doing what you're doing, too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Happy New Year. This is Johnny Rabbit. We're on KMOX. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.